the real lessons are learned from failure. We follow this theme leading into episode two of this podcast, where we interview wonderful entrepreneurs from around the world weekly on the worst deals they've ever been a part of. Welcome to the Worst Deal Ever podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vicky Virtual Receptionist. We make you look good on the phone. We are also sponsored by Kara Virtual Assistance. You need stuff done, let Kara help. For more information about Vicky Virtual and Kara Virtual Assistance, please visit the link provided on our website at www.theworstdealpodcast.com. For our second episode, we sit down with John Monarch, CEO and founder of Direct Outbound Services. Direct Outbound is a logistics and fulfillment company, as well as an inbound customer service provider focused on e-commerce, government, medical, and more. In this episode, we change the pace a bit, with an emphasis on not only covering John's story, but also gaining an informative background on logistics, fulfillment, and how to avoid some of the mistakes that plagued John's failed venture. This was an incredibly educational conversation for me, and I hope you're able to learn from what John had to say on this episode. Let's welcome John Monarch. Okay, I'm here with John. Uh, thanks for coming on today. John is the CEO and founder of Direct Outbound Services, logistic and fulfillment company. Uh, really excited to have you on here for episode two. Hey, happy to be here, Donald. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Yeah, I, um, you know, I can't remember when we first met. I think uh, I was working with uh, on Vicky Virtual and uh, trying to find some type of uh, call solution, and you guys were working on one internally. Yeah, we were kind of in the same space uh, in a way. We, you guys do all the answering service, and we handle a lot of like government call center. Uh, it's Our primary focus lately has been on the fulfillment and shipping side, but uh, we, we worked heavy in the call center industry for a long time. Oh, cool. Have it, you have a government clearance or anything? or? <laughs> Don't have clearance quite, but uh, we've got a couple of contracts out there with some state governments. Nice. Very cool. All right. So, um, you know, the the main thing I wanted to talk about first, of course, is uh, just a, a little bit of your story, um, how, to, how you came to be uh, as an entrepreneur, and then we can move on. Definitely. So, yeah, tell me a bit more about uh, Direct Outbound and, and uh, what your path was that led you to uh, being the CEO of that. So it's kind of a strange background that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. When I was an undergrad, uh, I majored in physics and computer huh. science. So it doesn't really play well into customer service and logistics and e-commerce, but mm-hmm. uh, it's worked out. So I got into uh, internet advertising, e-commerce, and stuff like that kind of in the late 2000s, early 2010s, and tried launching my own products. Mm-hmm. Uh realized that there were a lot of issues on the support side, the fulfillment side, and just a lot of people didn't really know what was going on. Uh, A lot of the older 3PLs is the term for it, third-party logistics in the industry were just very much suited towards big industrial clients rather than a lot of e-commerce focus, and it was still kind of a growing field that no one really had a lot of experience with. Hmm. So that led us into actually getting into handling e-commerce, customer service for them, and fulfillment as well. Okay. So how long uh, have you been working on this? About five and a half years for Direct Outbound itself. And I was in e-commerce a couple of years before that. Okay. Fantastic. Um, so really in terms of fulfillment, um, that's obviously one side. How did you uh, get to the point where you started to handle more calls? 
really that the call center came first actually because huh. we were we were having to work with a third party and didn't feel that they were they had the experience or they didn't they weren't really that good at what they were doing at the time mm-hmm. uh and so we decided to take everything internally on the project and it worked out that we were able to train and do e-commerce really well and started expanding out and taking on clients of our own oh very cool and uh you have a, a pretty large uh, average client size i remember we do. It's typ- that's typically what we go for is a lot of the larger call volume ones. Uh, that's why we did a lot in the government world recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just all depends on what the needs are and where they stand because uh, someone needing like an answering service, for instance, they're much better suited to work with you guys. Right. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we're here to talk about uh, successes, but also uh, the worst part of your, your entrepreneurial journey. And so uh, what happened? <laughs> Yeah, I've had a few of those. The biggest one is kind of what led me into the success, actually. So back in early, around 2010, uh, some partners and I got into the electronic cigarette space. And that was, you know, brand new. No one really had any experience in it. Uh, Everything was made in China. And that's not really a problem, so to speak. It's just that Alibaba really, it was around, but it it hadn't become what it is today, you know, like AliExpress and uh, just how easy it is to order off Alibaba in bulk now right. versus back then it was, you're talking, you know, you had to stay up till two in the morning working Skype every once in a while. Uh, orders didn't really make a whole lot of sense and it was just not very easy, so to speak, you know? Right. Right. Uh, so we got into that uh, and unfortunately for us it was – kind of in the stages of being heavily regulated. Uh, so we were right as we were launching the product, you're looking at things like the FDA is coming down and starting to sue people. Uh, the, they're, they're sending out letters. The, the banks just don't want to touch it, so it's impossible to do credit card processing. Mm. Uh, and just in general, it was a really rough period because you're talking about having to buy, you know, seventy-five dollars or $100,000 worth of inventory and you know, early on, that's a really big risk, especially because drop shipping from China hadn't really come to uh, yeah, a, like it has today. That's a huge amount. Yeah, and it was uh, there were there were still some left over, but you know, we still we were able to clear out our inventory pretty well. Oh, okay. So what's the? I mean, that's a crazy amount of uh, cost for you know what's the average unit price for an e-cig. Back then. Uh, for the old school ones, you know, they were the ones that actually looked like cigarettes rather than like the modern like box vapes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was we were looking at nine dollars a unit or so, nine to ten. Okay. Uh, we had a lot of inventory left at the end. We did clear out a good bit to like wholesalers and stuff like that, but we still ended up having to take a loss on a lot of that inventory. Wow. So you were spending, uh, you were buying five to ten thousand units of this stuff and and trying to. Uh do something with that (laughs) yeah exactly and they had minimum order quantities and not only that but you know to get it to the u.s it was uh just kind of a nightmare in dealing with like the their freight forwarders and things like that and you're talking looking at just shipping five to ten thousand units like that by air at the time was five to seven thousand dollars just for a single air shipment wow was it possible to do it on a boat or it was. It was just also really, uh, really slow. And that's, that's kind of, that persists today. You're looking at things taking up to a month or more mm-hmm. uh, to travel by, by sea to get to your warehouse in the U.S. Right. Yeah, there's certain things on Amazon now that, uh, you know, you order it and it's really cheap. 
but it takes about 30, 40 days to get to. Yeah, usually those are through uh, a network called ePacket, and they're drop shipped from China directly. Mm-hmm. So that the way that typically works is it's a deal between all of the postal services that are that participate, uh, and they enter it into the Chinese mail system and ship it to the United States. But they have to have enough volume for it to be consolidated under one giant, you know, container or carton, uh, right. usually by air. Okay, okay, that's uh, that's interesting, and the. And the bulk container is even larger than that. Yeah, typically you're looking at, uh, for shipping containers by sea, it's either a 20 or a 40-foot container. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then it gets into some terms like high cube and things like that, but that's not super pertinent here. But Mm -hmm. you're you're looking at 20-foot or a 40-foot primarily. Okay, yeah. So uh, let's go a bit more in depth with uh, exactly what went wrong with these six. Because, you know, obviously uh, there's a lot of things that came into play at the at the same time, um, and your timing wasn't great. But, uh, you know, what exactly did you have to do in order to get yourself out of that mess? Really, to get out of the mess, it was just trying to find uh, wholesale buyers, honestly, to take the inventory over and wait for things to close out. And there were a series of problems that really uh, led to it. But starting with putting that much money into inventory initially without having tested our own, you know, sales or product or anything like that. And that's where drop shipping nowadays comes in kind of nice for a lot of sellers is they can test a product mm-hmm. before they have to commit to a ton of customized inventory versus we were really not able to at the time for that product. So it wasn't even an option for you. Right, exactly. Uh, and really it was a combination. Then you have to get into the regulatory factor. So even though the FDA effectively got shut down in a lawsuit that made it all the way to the Supreme Court, Mm -hmm. uh, they still put some pretty strict regulations on it, despite initially they tried to ban electronic cigarettes entirely. Uh, So those were allowed, but then they started putting a lot of restrictions on it to where merchant processors didn't want to touch it. Right, right. So the, the only ones that did ended up being outside of the United States. Oh, and it's not really so much of a problem that they're outside the U.S., but the way a lot of them work is it takes you two to three weeks for the funds to release versus like you're used to in U.S. processors like Stripe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get it, you know, next day, two days at most. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, had this uh, outside of the, you know, obviously uh, getting this over to wholesale suppliers, buyers, um, how were you guys planning on selling the e cigs Is it? Were you thinking retail or, or e-commerce? Uh, we were going to do e-commerce exclusively, and that's what we did for a while, and then we wanted to branch into retail later on mm-hmm. uh, because it's just the same process like drop shipping versus buying in bulk. Doing e-commerce is a lot easier to test out your market than opening up a store, for instance. And it was also before all these, you know, there's a vape store on every corner now, basically, and right. it was well before that. Right. Starbucks, vape store. McDonald's. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, like, the biggest thing with those merchant processors overseas was that it really puts a damper on your cash flow. And combined mm-hmm. with having to order so much inventory, it puts you in the red for a long time and waiting that two to three weeks. And it makes it almost impossible to reinvest into your own business. So, right. it, it's a quick lesson in when you know how critical cash flow actually is when you run into a situation like that yeah did you guys have to did you self-fund it or you know did you take any outside investment 
we self-funded it. Uh, I had partners on the project and it was, uh, we had sales, so it was actually moving. It was just that the, the cash flow portion of it made it really impossible to keep reinvesting that money. Right. Okay. So you couldn't really scale it all. And, and, uh, if you're in a situation where you, you're running low on inventory, um, you can't re up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's... You have to wait another two, three weeks or you're out of product, you know, things like that happen. And it's just kind of a, it, it slows everything to a halt. It's terrible. Right. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine that. Um, you know, have you, have you tried any product companies since then? I've been involved on a, on a couple of them, but really my focus has been on direct outbound just because we don't want to start competing with our clients or anything like that. Right. Uh, so right now it's all a hundred percent on direct outbound. So you were in a situation where you tried uh, certain e-commerce opportunities uh, on the product side, uh, really over and over again, right? Yeah, yeah, and we got experience as a result of that. So we know what a lot of these sellers deal with nowadays. So that that way, you know, we've tried it, we've we've made the mistakes, we've you know done everything that uh, a normal seller that we would be taking on as a client would, mm -hmm. uh, and we know what pitfalls that we can help them avoid at least. Right. Okay. So that gives you a lot more contact to to help people. So what are some of the main, I guess, the biggest lessons learned from this? Well, we learned a lot of different things from having this experience, and it came out from everything in between from shipping to just kind of product planning, inventory planning, all the way to merchant processing and more. So, for instance, one of the things that we apply today is really to help our clients project out their inventory needs mm -hmm. and that's that's so critical because it 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 is what leads to cash flow problems a lot of the time and sometimes you have to buy a lot of inventory for the holidays for instance and you haven't really forecast as well as you need and then all of a sudden uh oh it's december you know 19th and you're out of product right right so it it's that's a huge problem that we try and help people offset uh as well as combining in our experience on the shipping side to get the product into the country in a cheaper way, but also if they have emergency need for something like an air shipment from China, that way they can. Mm -hmm. So I, I really don't know that much about, uh, about product, period. Mm -hmm. um, is there or are there other places to procure quality good product outside of overseas? Oh, there definitely are. And it, a lot of it, uh, Alibaba is a great site, but at the same time, you have to be very cautious in what you're dealing with. It, it's not that there's any issues just particularly because of certain countries or whatever. It's more along the lines of there are scammers out there mm -hmm. that will try to, you know, take advantage of buyers. And on top of that, you also have to look for things like, is this buyer the actual manufacturer or are they a reseller? Uh, in some ways you can actually just go around and look online for local manufacturers, depending on what you're looking to make. Okay. Uh, I know, a, a one of the larger mattress companies, I don't think I can name them, but they, uh, they actually went around the Southeast and even though they're based out West, they went around the Southeast looking for mattress manufacturers and found one. And, uh, they're actually pretty close to where our office is. Okay. So in your case, you know, you guys do handle fulfillment. And when you're advising people, depending on their scenario, um, you know, there, there's a lot of people, certain people that are looking outside of China. 
Right. And many people come to us with a product already. So they've been working with a manufacturer or a distributor to actually ship it out. Mm -hmm. uh, but when they, you know, they come looking for recommendations, it really depends on what type of type of quality are you looking for? What are you willing to pay? What, you know, are you willing to in increase the price a little bit for an imp uh, improved quality or are you looking for, you know, just the lowest price possible? Right. And I'm, I'm imagining that it doesn't work as well for you guys when people are bargain shopping. Right. And that's, it's the old, you know, saying it's like you can have good, fast or cheap pick two. Right. Yeah. It's the same with the shipping carriers really too. The more you pay, typically the better the service level is. Well, let me uh, circle back a bit to uh, direct outbound. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you mentioned that some of your clients are, uh, are there's an emphasis on state government uh, clients of yours. Uh, what is an ideal client for you outside of, of that type of uh, institution? Really, it's anyone that works with e-commerce that is looking to either save on their shipping a bit or just they may not be experts or don't want to be experts. It's shipping their own product. They don't want to hire employees. They don't want to open a warehouse. They don't want to have that liability on their books or on their hands. So it's something that we can take it on, uh, for instance. And one I was just talking to yesterday, they stated that very specifically their product is very seasonal. Mm -hmm. So hiring on a bunch of employees only to fire them a month later is not really a good situation and it leads to all kinds of issues. And that's the problem that a lot of retailers had was they had a lot of seasonal fluctuation and had seasonal employees. Mm -hmm. So it put a lot onto them versus we can absorb those ebbs and flows of seasonality and we can combine it throughout all of our clients. So that way things are stable for us, even though they may not be for the client. Okay. So you have... Uh... Essentially, your client can rely on your scale uh, to take advantage of not just product discrepancies between season, but also the, the staff needed to handle that. Right. It's all economies of scale, and it includes things like even negotiated contracts with shipping carriers. So if you were to go to UPS and ship one package, for instance, you might get it, let's say, $30. But with us, that same thing might be $20, just as a offhand example there just because we do so much volume right yeah okay so you know when amazon hires say like they just did a thing i think last week they hired fifty thousand people on on wednesday of last right. week. um you know are those typically seasonal people some of amazon is we actually have an amazon warehouse right near our main location mm -hmm. uh and during the holidays we actually do compete for labor and it can be kind of a challenge. So it's, uh, you know, Amazon does pay quite a bit for their seasonal employees and things like that. Huh. So let me ask you this. What are some of the main challenges you face today with Direct Outbound? Uh, it's various ones that mostly are out of our hands, really. It's a lot of things like just what the shipping carriers do. Or let's say there's an example that one of the things we've been watching very closely is with the current administration. Mm -hmm. How are they going to react to, you know, or do anything with the trade situation with China? Or how will NAFTA be impacted? And it's something we have to kind of keep a close eye on for our clients. Right, right. So you have to always be on guard in case you need to pivot, <laughs> in case something drastic happens. Exactly. Political things can actually impact shippers pretty significantly. So if there's a tariff from China uh, put onto Chinese goods coming in, it, it can hurt really bad. A good example of that is uh, solar panels. 
So Chinese-made solar panels have a 267, I want to say, percent uh, tariff on them oh, wow. due, to, due to anti-dumping. So that's basically they were subsidizing solar panels from China and then trying to sell them too cheap in the U.S. market. So the U.S. responded by putting a gigantic tax on it. 267%. Steel was another that got hit uh, last year, I believe it was, with the same type of thing. Chinese steel was flooding the U.S. market. Uh, and so the U.S. responded by hit, slapping a giant tax on it. And uh, conveniently, it helped all of the U.S. steel suppliers, of course. But uh, it's it's a kind of a back and forth that all the countries do with each other. Even if they're cooperating on trade, something will pop up to where that happens. Right. OK. So there's just certain industries where, you know, there's some type of flare up of activity that doesn't make sense. It's too lopsided. And so there will be some type of large tariff or something in place that will uh hopefully stop that issue exactly and another issue would probably be holiday carrier capacity so and that's probably one of the bigger ones that gets run into recently especially with the e-commerce shippers mm -hmm. uh, so the ones drop shipping from outside the u.s uh, typically the postal service it seems like combined with china post uh, over the e-packet network last year specifically things were taking 45 days to deliver and mm -hmm. Whenever that's, you know, that's a huge problem when it comes to Christmas. Everyone's getting their presents afterwards, and it's just a gigantic issue for chargebacks and refunds and whatnot. Yeah, that's, yeah, some mess. And even in the U.S., a lot of the carriers you see, uh, you know, USPS, FedEx, UPS are all, you know, scrambling to hire seasonal staff and just struggling to keep up with the amount of shipping because everyone buys everything online now. <laughs> right. Something that I've heard come up um like here and there, I just hear it. Uh, is USPS having issues financially, whereas uh, that might affect your business and, and how you go about shipping things? Uh, I'm not really sure if it really it will impact too much on day-to-day -day shipping, but they were forced by Congress to pre-fund their pension, uh, which is kind of something that no other government agency was forced to do and none of the other carriers have to deal with. Mm -hmm. So that's why all of a sudden you see that USPS is taking a loss uh, on every time you see a report about them. That's interesting. And I believe the USPS is the only, uh, I think all the other ones are private, right? Right. And on top of that, you'll also see that uh, this deal between the U.S. and China for e-packet shipping, shipping is kind of also starting to cause USPS to take a loss on international shipping. Uh, so they're looking for creative ways to bring up their revenue. And one of those is uh, that we've been rumored and right now, Amazon is the only shipper allowed to have Sunday delivery from USPS. But they're about to open that up to other high-volume shippers as well. Wow. Yeah, um, that's, that's really helpful. Yeah, yeah. So that would affect you guys potentially. It would. Uh, a lot of the other carriers don't even deliver on Saturdays unless you pay extra for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but USPS will. Okay. And do you think it'll be a uh, additional charge? They haven't said yet, but I'm going to take a guess for Sunday delivery, they will. Okay, yeah, because, you know, they still have to have to staff for it and, and that type of stuff. Exactly. Right. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, this is really interesting. Uh, you know, it's, this is not something I'm well-versed in, but uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that think about product companies, e-commerce, and there are a lot of things to consider uh, as you get larger or you're in a situation where you need to purchase a, a larger amount of inventory. Um, and so, John, if you were to give, uh, you know, maybe three tips on what are the smart ways 
to go about picking an e-commerce uh, channel once you've selected a product, what would that be? Well, one of my favorite things to say is don't build your house on someone else's land. If you're relying on one specific channel and that's it, mm-hmm. it's not really a full-fledged business in my opinion. You're selling a lot maybe, you're making good money, but at the same time that platform could just shut you down overnight. And a good example is Facebook. If they decide that they don't like your product and your exclusive advertising source is Facebook, you're you're out of luck. Right. And of course, uh, that happens a lot with Amazon. (laughs) Oh, exactly. And Amazon is really strict about a lot of their products. And sometimes they'll just decide to start copying your product and sell it themselves, too. Right. Yeah, that's definitely an issue. And, uh, you know, one thing I've heard about recently that was uh, pretty exciting, and now I'm starting to hear the horror stories, Merch by Amazon. Yeah, there's a lot of those, and uh, a lot of people on Merch by Amazon, and then other similar ones like Teespring, I think, where you just get print-on-demand t-shirts and stuff like that. Right, okay. So what would be your second tip for an aspiring e-commerce entrepreneur? Once they've found their product, they should really consider how much they're willing to dedicate to actually buying that product. So mm-hmm. testing it out, uh, I even though it's a counterintuitive, but dropshipping is a great thing, and it's a good thing to test a new product out rather than you know making your entire business out of it it's it's a good way to test out to see if something will sell and not have to worry about you know buying a bunch of inventory and once you figure out the product is selling uh, buy that inventory because you will save more money you will uh, you will have a better result you can customize it more than having a, a random factory's logo on it for instance right. uh, exactly and that way you can uh, you can really get that product drilled in and you'll have uh, typically the product cost for something that will be purchased in bulk is going to be almost half of what it would be if you were to drop ship it, even with customizations on it. Wow. And then, you know, with drop shipping versus buying in bulk, you know, because I, I think with drop shipping, there's a lot of times where you're buying it not in China. Is that correct? Right. And it really depends on the product. A lot of health products, for instance, can be drop shipped from the United States mm-hmm. because the laws from the FDA get pretty strict about certain things. Okay. So I guess my question there is, uh, are there times where, you know, you try to buy in bulk, but the shipping cost is so high that it almost cancels itself out? Only if your bulk order is small enough. So that's where one of the things to look at is what the cost of shipping per unit is rather than the overall cost of the shipping. Uh, so take that you know $4,000 air shipment and divide it into however many units you're ordering. Right. Uh, you know If it adds a ton of cost to the per unit shipment, then it's not worth it. Uh, and you should look at a different shipping method, really, because to ship from China to the United States by sea – I think the last I checked, the 20-foot equivalent is the unit that they use now, primarily for uh, sea shipping for containers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only a couple hundred bucks per container to ship from China to the U.S., really. Really? For it's pretty ent- crazy. For the entire container? Exactly. Wow. That is, that's actually really crazy. Um, all right. And what would be the third tip? The third tip would just be to get know what you're getting into when it comes to managing finances and cash flow. And that's a lot of people have a great idea. But at the same time, they may not have you know, the accounting know-how. And you don't really need that, but just keep good track of everything and make sure that you always have positive cash flow when possible and keep a, you know, a good uh, Excel sheet even, something like that, just to make sure that everything is in line. And uh, 
sometimes it's even wise to have something like an American Express so that you can, you know, fund it on a net 30 basis, basically. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I guess the 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 thing that I try to stick to personally is you try to write down everything you possibly could in terms of cost, expenses, get it all out, and then add 50% of it, and then you should be good to go. <laughs> That's a good way. I mean, that definitely pads you quite a bit. Right. Um, well, John, um, I was... Uh, I I know you don't want to div- divulge too much about how direct outbound has been doing, but uh, what has been your experience uh, as far as growing the company over the last five and a half years? Well, we've had some tremendous growth. I mean, we've we went from basically two people, three people to uh, well over a hundred, two hundred, and it it was uh, it was fast growth, and we are excited to grow more. Yeah. And, you know, what do you think has been such a huge catalyst for that growth? You know, I know, uh, you know, earlier in this interview, you were saying there's a lot of things that uh, that are missing um, in, in terms of uh, e-commerce and that things have changed a lot. But what do you think has made it specifically for you guys a uh, better fit for a lot of clients? I think it's a combination of the barrier to entry into e-commerce has really lowered. So it's a lot easier now to start your own store or take, let's say if you have a retail store, take that existing store online. Uh, the software is easier. There's Shopify, you know, that's point and click. You don't have to worry about uploading files and editing, you know, some cart and PHP or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks really nice. And combined with that is just the general sentiment in the economy is that a lot of people are trying to do a side hustle. You know, that's the big buzzword right now. A lot of people want that side hustle going on so that they can have extra income and you're seeing people going from having a full-time job and having e-commerce as a side hustle all of a sudden taking up more and more of their time so they have to quit their jobs and it's a full-time thing so that's what's helped us as well uh, because we can help them take it off their plate so they can focus on growing the business rather than having to sit there at their kitchen table packing up boxes right and I I think that makes complete sense our wealth gap is expanding um, we're in a situation where minimum wage is not matching up with inflation, so a side hustle is, is not just popularity, it's become more of a necessity. Right. And I think that the nice thing, though, is that this, the you know, you talk about the wealth divide and things like that. I think that with e-commerce and just generally being able to reduce those barriers and starting a business, you can actually see people taking off with those. And I think entrepreneurship in general was slow for a while, and I'm hoping we're seeing it pick up. Well, John, um, you know, I, I really appreciate having you on here. I uh, have a, a lot of things that have happened over the last few years. Um, you've got a lot going on. Uh, just want to circle back one more time. You know, you had a situation, you've spent a lot of money, Thankfully, you were lucky enough to make a good portion of it back by getting rid of your inventory, but you did take a loss. What would you recommend to someone that might be about to do the exact same thing? If you're looking at sinking a bunch of money into inventory, make sure you've tested first. That's probably the biggest advice I can give. So, John, yeah, it was uh, great having you on today. Um, you know, I, I think it's really interesting not knowing a lot about product and logistic to learn uh, at least a, a base understanding of, of what occurs, and I think this would be really helpful for, pe- for people considering uh, e-commerce. Um, and, yeah, thanks a lot for, for coming by. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You know, we've had to learn both the uh, service industry and the product industry. So it's kind of been a, a double edged sword of learning, you know, how to handle a business, but it's been great and we really enjoy it. Yeah. Now, if someone is considering uh, is utilizing guys uh, for, um, you know, the call center, your fulfillment services, uh, where would they go? They would go to direct-outbound.com. So direct-outbound.com. Great. So, John, uh, I also have that listed on our website so you can check it out. I'll put a link there under uh, resources. And other than that, thanks a lot for coming on again. And uh, have a good rest of the week. Hey, thanks so much. You too.